we've had a full week and now we are going to just kind of debrief and look at some of the tools and some of the resources and some of the approaches that we started to talk about throughout this week. I am so thankful that you have stuck with me and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in and through you over the next six weeks. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. I know sometimes you doubt if you are truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own. I know that you are praying for a way to know the difference and to be confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word. If you are ready to grow in your faith and your identity in Christ and to confidently step into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know, I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org. And for a limited time, I'm offering all of my podcast listeners a special discount of 20% off. You can use the discount code hearing Jesus that's one word all caps to get your discount there are also some free videos and a leader's guide for you to get started again head to shehears.org and you can find the bible study on the resources page hey friends by now you will have finished week one and I wanted to just give you some moments to just kind of hear my heart behind chapter one and my prayer for you throughout this week By now, I hope you will have realized just from my voice throughout this week that um, I'm not one that has it all together. In fact, I say this over and over. It's why I need Jesus because there's so much brokenness in me that um, that's what really allows the light of Jesus to shine through. And I, I sat down to talk to you this morning and I have a cup of coffee because I want this to feel like we are friends and we are sitting across from each other. Because I want to establish a a relationship with you in the sense that I am praying for you, I've been praying for you, and I will continue to pray, pray for you. And I don't always have somebody like that in my life. And it would be an honor and a privilege if I could be that person for you. Um, You can always reach out to me for prayer. Rachel at shehears.org is my email or through the website. But I, I sat down with my cup of coffee and I realized that I had my broken mug. I don't know if you can see, but the handle is broken off. And this is a mug. It's two of my favorite colors um, that don't always go together, but they do on this mug. It's a mug that my husband bought me on our honeymoon. And a couple years into our marriage, the handle broke off. And he said, well, 
just throw it out, I'll order you a new one. And, and he did order me a new one, and I have that one as well. But I couldn't bring myself to throw this mug out because I love it. It's, it, it's special to me, it holds just the right amount of coffee, um, it suits the need that I have for it to be filled. It reminds me of a very special time in my life. Um, it's my favorite colors, and it still works, even if it's broken. And I think that's kind of an echo of my own heart and my own relationship with God throughout my life. Um, none of us gets through this life without some brokenness. That's just the reality of life, whether it's grief or sorrow or um, divorce or abandonment or childhood wounds or friendship wounds or leadership wounds. We all have some brokenness. My goal, though, is to help you to see that despite your brokenness, Sometimes even because of your brokenness, God can still use you and he delights in you regardless of that brokenness. It's the very reason he came for you to die on the cross so that that brokenness could be made new. I hope that you will see that thread throughout the book, but I just thought that was a really special thing that I didn't even plan. Maybe perhaps God did. So today what we're going to do is go through just a couple thoughts I had on week one, Mary, the woman of authority. And initially, you might think, well, why did you start with Mary? And to be perfectly honest, um, initially it was just because as I was going through the book of John, she was the first one that had a story in the narrative example. But I think even beyond that, um, my hesitation with Mary at first was, was really an insecurity. I didn't really know much about her. As an evangelical pastor, even... Um, we don't study Mary a whole lot. Um, it's almost reserved for the more conservative face. And um, if we do talk about Mary in most conservative uh, Christian circles, even, uh, it's really centered around the Christmas story. And this, the, the study of Mary in this passage was so different than anything I had ever done before. And as I kind of walked through my own uh, color method you know, method really, as I was studying, I realized, man, this story is so rich with how Jesus shows us um, their relationship and the picture of their relationship together. So even though I didn't know anything about Mary, I did what, exactly what I asked you to do in the text, really set aside any preconceived notions. Um, I remember even as a young child, my, my grandfather was Catholic, and I remember going to the Catholic church with him, and I remember him praying, and I remember this big statue of Mary, and I remember just thinking, man, she's so beautiful. And even when I asked him, I said, Papa, can you tell me about her? He couldn't articulate the reasons why he held her in such high regard. And there was always this kind of like, holy mystery surrounding her um, because of who she was and the role that she had in the life of Jesus. And I let that intimidate me from studying her. And so um, in all honesty, this was the first time I had studied her in depth. And I hope that as you approach her this week, that you had that same ability to kind of disregard the things that you maybe had learned or known in the past. Um, and it didn't feel too religious for you, but you could really get the heart to the heart of the story that Jesus shows us in this chapter. I'm going to go ahead and read it just so it's fresh in your mind. And this is from John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, what business do you have with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. 
Now there were six stone water pots standing there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. Now when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the groom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the guests are drunk, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana at Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. A friend of mine this week who has actually sipped the wine in Cana said, Oh, if you could only taste it, it is the most amazing wine that comes from Cana. I hope to uh, have some one day, although I'm not a wine drinker, but I would love to just at least sip it. How did reading through uh, the scriptures this week affect you? I would love to hear about it on our Facebook page, where which is a community of people that are going through the She Here study, where we can kind of just walk through the material together and share what God is um, sharing with us. But one of the things that I think that is bears repeating, and I've said this in the book, and I've said it probably in several of the intro, intro videos or the um, podcasts that you may have heard, I think it's really important that when we're reading scripture, we, we do it with uh, two things in mind. First, the meta-narrative of scripture. What is the overarching theme of the whole book and the whole context of scripture? And also the lens of Jesus. As we're reading, are we reading through the lens of who we know Christ to be? His character, his nature. I think sometimes we forget those things when we are kind of pulling out specific verses. The other thing I think is really important is that as you can see, we are reading through chunks of scripture, not one or two verses. I think one of the dangers that we get into when we're trying to study scripture on our own is just taking one verse and applying it to our life. Instead, what we need to do is consider the message of the original author and the original intended audience, what they were trying to portray, and let that inform our lifestyle, our thinking, our attitudes, our behaviors. We should never be reading anything less than a whole paragraph of scripture. And, and to be perfectly honest, it's better to be reading the whole book and studying the whole book at a time. But at, the, at minimum, a whole chapter, a whole paragraph is really um, better for understanding the context of what's going on. Yes, the word is living and active, and it can absolutely mean things for me today that it did not mean for me, me yesterday because of God's spirit indwelling the word. However, there is a danger when we try to assign the definition to a text. And so what I mean by that is sometimes you will hear a sermon preached and it is a topical sermon and it's about mostly a story time about that pastor's life. And then they will take two or three verses and plug it in to um, that that story to kind of make their story make sense. While they could be right, sometimes what happens is that that scripture is manipulated to fit their story. A better way to do this is to let the storyline of scripture inform you. You can get at the same context, concepts and you can still do a topical study. So for instance, you might be doing a study on the topic of grace. And instead of just pulling different verses from the Bible about grace, take a chapter that talks about the storyline of grace and use that chapter to kind of inform how um, you were studying the word and understanding that within the context of that original audience and that original author. And so the reason why I say this is if I were to send a letter to my daughter 
and it talked about how much I loved her, but I was disappointed in her, and I needed to discipline her a little bit, um, but that we were also going to go back to on vacation, you know, the following week. That would be very specific to that situation. If then that letter was mailed to um, somebody on the other on the West Coast, I live on the East Coast, and the West Coast person read it as if that letter was to them, well, what would happen if they showed up my, to my house to go on vacation with me? Do you see what I'm saying? There's a disconnect because that letter wasn't intended for them. Now, if somebody read that letter with the idea in mind, like, oh, this is a mother writing to her daughter, and you can see she still loves her daughter. She's speaking the truth with love and grace. She's calling her to accountability, but there's still no uh, rip in the in the relationship. That can inform me on how I should maybe parent my child or how I could grow as a mom or those kinds of things. Concepts can still be derived, but you can't take them out of context without considering who that letter was written for or who that passage of scripture was written for. So that's why we are studying larger chunks. I had a friend of mine say to me last week, you know, when I read the scriptures, I just see a bunch of words on the page and I can't understand anything, even if I have a study Bible in front of me. Um, I think that's why I prefer studying smaller chunks of scripture for a, a couple days, a whole week, or however long it takes for you to understand it. Because to me, it is much more valuable to understand one chunk of scripture and how it's relevant to my life and how it can um, change my attitudes and behavior versus reading five different passages that week and I don't remember any of them or, or or even understand how it's relevant to my life. And so yes, I'm an advocate of reading through the scriptures and absolutely you can read through the scripture and have God uh, kind of download something to you. But I think more often what happens is when we take the time to really read with an in intention and understand the scriptures for how it's relevant to our own lives, that can be life-changing in a way that just sitting down to check off your box because you read your chapter that day, that for me, at least in my experience in my life, has not been life-changing. I might feel better because I checked off the box and I read my Bible for the day, but I still had a bad attitude or I still, you know, sinned throughout the day because I was angry or whatever it was. For me, it's been so much more life-changing to kind of digest these passages in smaller chunks. So that's why we're doing it that way. Um... One question I did want to kind of address too is something that I um, really hope that you will take advantage of through this study. Throughout it, you will see there's various questions that are prompts that I ask you to think about, to journal about, to just pause and meditate on. Um, for me, one of the questions this week was, have you ever had someone form an opinion of you based on one situation? And have you ever formed an opinion of someone based on one situation? I will tell you very... Uh, Early on, um, I um, I'm remarried. I am divorced from my first husband. Who um, it was a really terrible situation, and I was divorced because of his decision, not because of mine. And um, I'm remarried now. We actually uh, just celebrated our 12th anniversary yesterday. Today's our anniversary. We celebrated yesterday. But um, my husband now is uh, an amazing man of God that I will be with until the day I die. Um, However, my first scenario, I had a young baby. I had two children at the time, but I had a young baby with me, and I tried to go to a mops group. And when I walked into the mops group, what ended up happening was um, I was kind of lumped into a category um, with other single moms, 
But there was one single mom in particular who had never been married. She had eight children from eight different fathers. And the one of the leaders of this group said, oh, I'm going to put you two together because you have a lot in common. And, you know, it really stung because I was a Christian who did not believe in divorce. I had done nothing wrong in my marriage. And, in fact, I stayed way longer than I should have in an abusive situation. I, um, it, the divorce was not my decision. It was... It was a divorce. It was, it was, I was a situation that was handed to me because of adultery. So there was really um, repetitive adultery. So there was really nothing I could do when it came down to it. Um, and still, I, I felt like by her lumping me into this category with this other woman who had eight children from eight different fathers, who was still really living a life of sin, it just stung me so bad. And maybe today, if that happened, I wouldn't have been quite as bothered by it, but I was in a really vulnerable place that really um, just stung in a way that just was like salt in an already gaping wound. And throughout that entire year, when I did visit Mops, I was continually thrust into the same category. Now, God worked in that situation and I was able to, to minister to this mom and um, he kind of did what he needed to do. So I'm not saying that I shouldn't have been in, in her life at all. But what I am saying is it just felt like there was one situation that other people were basing their opin opinion on me of and I had no control over that. And for a long time, I just carried with me just this bitterness over it and this unforgiveness. And even though I didn't necessarily consciously say I had unforgiveness, every time I passed that church where that mops group was, I could just feel myself tense up a little bit. Or if there was a community event that was at that church, I wouldn't go. Or if I saw that mom in the carpool line, um, the, the one that had put me in, the, in that group, I would just kind of look the other way and not pay attention and pretend not to see her. So I realized as I was going through the study myself that there were some things I needed to forgive. That's one example of many. Um, but I think my encouragement to you is not to skip these parts and allow things to come up that need to come up. There are some heavy topics that we cover in this study. And my goal is for you to allow the Holy Spirit to release those things so you can walk in freedom. Um, I have chosen to forgive that scenario and to try to understand perspectives and all those kinds of things. Um, but the thing about forgiveness is it's not like you do it one time, you make the decision forgive, and then you always feel like you've forgiven. For me anyway, what has happened is it has been a process where every single time those feelings come up, I'd make the choice to forgive. Um, that's my encouragement for you is to maybe identify some things that you're holding on to that either you haven't forgiven because you just didn't think about, that you needed to forgive or you've chosen not to forgive because sometimes there's we almost feel like we have this power when we choose not to forgive something like I don't want to forgive it because either I don't want reconciliation or I'd rather be angry it's easier to be angry than it is to be hurt um Anger is a secondary emotion. It's covering something else up, usually a hurt, a disappointment, uh, a fear, something like that. And so God can't get to the root of that issue if you're holding on tightly to it. So at the beginning of the book, one of the things I say is the moment I came to Christ, even though salvation, of course, is a free gift from God, the moment I came to Christ, he asked me to hand things over to him. My unforgiveness, my bitterness, my pain, my sorrow. So he could deal with it. And so he could replace it with something better. That's my prayer for you this week. This week in this entire study, it's my prayer that you would exchange the things that you're holding on to that he wants to give you freedom from for the peace that comes from releasing those things to him. 
The second thing I wanted to bring up from this week is the statement that I made that sometimes the miracle happens after our obedience. Um, several years ago, almost a decade ago, I guess, I was an owner of a daycare and I had, we live in a very small town and it was 60 kids and uh, I think I had 12 full-time staff at the time. And I was getting ready to go on a mission trip, my first uh, mission trip to, to Africa. And God started to really kind of put on my heart that he was going to move me into full-time ministry. And at the time, I did not have any context for what that meant. Um, my degree, my undergraduate, all of that was in education. I didn't have any kind of ministry experience other than like Sunday school. And I mean, I ran a Christian daycare, but other than that, it really wasn't any kind of full-time ministry experience. And so I kind of ignored it for a while and then it kind of got just stronger and stronger to the point where I just could not ignore it. And so I said to my husband, this is, I'm remarried by this time. I said to my husband, I think I'm supposed to close a daycare. And we prayed about it together and he said, okay, well, if God's leading you to do this, we'll figure it out or he will figure it out. And so I sent out the letter to the daycare families, which is something very hard to do because I still had a mortgage on the building. I still had tax liabilities and all sorts of things, but it was July 1st. And I said, um, July 30th was going to be our last day in operation. So that letter went out July 1st on July 4th. Our pastor was at a 4th of July picnic that we were at and he invited us to come over for dinner that next day, July 5th. So on July 5th, when we went over, we thought we were just going over to spend time at the pastor's house. He actually said to me, you know, I don't know how this would work because you have the daycare. He said, but I just really feel like God has been telling me to ask you to take on the children's pastor's role at the church. And I looked at my husband and I thought, okay, <laughs> I wasn't crazy. I did hear from God and um, I doubted it because it just seems so radical and it seems so kind of crazy, but yet that, that pressing, I describe it as a pressing where it's not like an audible voice where I hear these voices, you know, not, not that I doubt that that can happen, but that's not how it works for me. It's more like a pressing of a word into my heart to the point where I cannot ignore it. And it's not my thought because my thoughts are fleeting. I have adult ADD and I'm all over the place, but with this, it was just an unknowing. And so when that happened, I realized that sometimes God asks for our obedience before he shows us the whole plan. And as I walked into that obedience, thankfully, God knows I'm impatient. It was only a couple days before he did, showed the plan. And I was able to, you know, step into this ministry role already knowing that I had already committed to being obedient to whatever God was calling me to do. And I've seen that happen. That is a persistent experience of what happens in my life where God calls me to obedience before he shows me the plan. Um, during the season of my first book, when I was writing that, um, I had been writing for a, a, a blog online. And one of the things that came through the blog was that anything that I wrote would no longer be mine and I could not use it for any kind of training, my volunteers or anything like that, except it was a children's ministry blog. And I even wrote to the guy that was over the blog and I said, this doesn't seem to make sense to me. If these are my words and I'm sharing them with you because they are valuable for children's ministry or children's ministry workers, why can I not then use that same content to train my workers? And he said, well, that's a pretty standard thing. Once you give it to me, it's mine. And I said, you know what, even though this is an opportunity to reach a lot of children's pastors, I did not feel comfortable with it. And so I 
stepped back, I withdrew, and I stopped writing for that organization. Um, within three days, I had an offer to write a book, and I had an offer to come speak at a very large children's pastors conference by um, somebody that I really admired and respected. And it was just so amazing to me that it all happened within a span of like three or four days where God was looking for my obedience before he showed me the plan. And I really feel like once I said no to, to the good thing, God gave me the greater thing. And so my encouragement for you is when you are facing those things that God is asking you to give up, we talk in here about how um, Mary is called to, to lay down her authority. We sometimes have spiritual authority for a season over something. It is really difficult to give those things up when we have been the one that's been the driving force that God has been using to get those things off the ground or sustaining those things. However, when we do that, what God does is he gives us the greater. Now, we might not get it in three or four days like I did. In fact, there's been other things that I've been waiting on for years that still haven't come to fruition. But I know that God is faithful. I've seen the periods of his faithfulness almost like stepping stones to the point where I know when I take that next step, there will be a stepping stone to, for me to land on. And so uh, that's my encouragement for you this week. As God starts to move things around and maybe call you out of something or call you into something that you would step with faith, with obedience, like we see in Mary, and that you would walk in confidence because you know that you can hear his voice. One more thing before we, we end our time together today. The one um, thing that I wrote towards the end of chapter one, the very first miracle that Jesus performed publicly was revealed to those who were serving. The ones who know what Jesus is doing are the ones who are serving him because they're close by. They see the miracle. As somebody that has worked in full-time ministry um, and also in lay ministry just serving, what I have come to realize is that sometimes God doesn't tell us what he wants us to do. He shows us. And um, the miracles that I have seen in amazing ways have been phenomenal and have only gotten to see them because I was serving, whether that is something as um, amazing as a child making a first-time commitment um, to Jesus, or a widow who is healed of her brokenness and is now able to minister to others, or to an actual miracle. Um, you know, we work in Malawi in a normal year. Not, not that it's you know with COVID right now. We're not, we're not traveling. But we work in Malawi, and because of COVID, our team was unable to do their summer camps uh, this past year the way that they normally would. And so towards the end of the year, Malawi regulations opened up to the point where they could have a, um, a certain amount of kids together outdoors. So instead of bringing kids to our campus, our staff went out into the villages to do their summer camp. And because they had been doing some canvassing of the area, they knew that we were going to likely have more kids than we normally would have if we had just brought them onto campus. So we typically would have about 500 kids in camp. We prepared for 800 kids this year. And when, when our team got to the villages, they ended up having 1,800 kids. Um, from 500 to 1800, that's uh, it's just phenomenal. And here, really, what it was was it was one of the first events that the government allowed the families to kind of commingle and get outside of their their own, you know, quarantines. And so the combination of just being starved for entertainment or anything outside of their own homes, and then the hope of the gospel. Um, 
you know, our staff, he said, um, one of our staff members, he said, you know, we took extra, expecting extra, and we always do, like, a food and snack and games and supplies. And he said, there was no way that we would have enough for 1,800. But do you know, by the end of the day, we had enough for all 1,800 kids. And so what we experienced in that scenario was a modern day loaves and fishes kind of miracle where, um, you know, he said to me, I know how much was there because I packed the truck. Um, I know that we didn't have enough supplies for 1,800 kids. We had supplies for about 800 kids. Um, And so what he has experienced now is this miracle of a miracle working God that still does things like that today, but he experienced in a way that is different than anybody else because he was serving and God showed him what he was able to do through his obedience and his faithfulness. That's my prayer for you, that you can walk alongside Jesus in the areas that he's already moving and you would start to see him because he reveals himself to you through the ways that he is already moving and working and showing you how you can come alongside of him. Friends, it's my honor and privilege to pray for you as we set out to embark on week two of the She Hears Bible Study. Thank you for sticking through it for all of week one. And I will be praying this week that you would not only hear from God, but that you would see the ways that he speaks to women throughout the pages of scripture. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for my friends that are walking alongside this Bible study together. Lord, I thank you that you've called them to this place in this season of history right now to learn about what you say about your the women in the pages of, this, of Scripture and about what you say about us, who you are, and the way that you want to work in our lives. God, thank you for your word and how precious it is to us. Thank you that you still move and interact and speak with us today. Lord, I pray today, even now, that you would quiet the hearts of my friends in such a way that they can hear you clearly. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.